Booker with Tucker on him. Throws it up for Aiton. Shot blocked by Antetokounmpo. What a block from Giannis. 1-0 into center field. Hamilton. Oh, Whoa. wow. <laughs> a make-your-own-slip-and-slide for Billy Hamilton. Come on. Hello, and welcome to the Dorm Room Dispute Podcast. I am Mitchell Kaminsky. We are back after a one-week hiatus. Uh, I apologize. I was on a uh, vacation tour and some other, doing a little sports tour, uh, so to speak. Uh, I was the villain everywhere I went for a week, and it was pretty fun. So uh, it started 4th of July. Uh, I went up to Wisconsin, Elkhorn Lake, uh, to watch a NASCAR race, uh, which, you know, I am not a huge NASCAR fan. My buddy had an extra ticket. He's like, hey, you want to come up? And uh, it turned out to be a historic race. First time since 1956 uh, that NASCAR had raced in the state of Wisconsin. It was the largest motor uh, sport event uh, in the state's history uh, with all the people that showed up. Uh, it was called Road America. It was like a road course. And uh, <laughs> it's funny, like I said, I'm not a huge NASCAR fan. So uh, I found the race fascinating. We were by like turn five, so they come down uh, a hill. And then when they make the turn, there's a lot of bumping and grinding. It, you know, reminds you of your high school prom days, doesn't it? And then they come up and shoot up the other way. So there's a good passing spot. Uh, but they're doing the, the driver introduction. So like, you know, like I said, not a big NASCAR guy. Don't know a ton about the sport. Was reading up on my way up there, you know, trying to get filled in. Uh, and so I wanted to pick a guy to root for. Um, and up in Wisconsin, you can't sports bet. So, you know, I couldn't place a wager on anyone to make it interesting. So I'm like, all right, we'll, we'll pick a guy based off the pre-race introduction. I'll, I'll pick out someone. So initially, my first guy was Brad Kozlowski because he has the Miller car. And I'm a Miller guy. So I'm like, hey, Miller man, Miller car, that's a cool car. I want to root for him. But he didn't have the Miller car. He apparently has like a discount tires car. Uh, So I was like, oh, well, that stinks. So uh, we're going down the introductions. um, And they're they're, they're doing their guys. And the first one, obviously, Bubba Wallace, who we we talked about here. He gets up. They're booing him. I'm like, all right, yeah. So I start cheering for that guy. And everyone's like, oh, they they, they don't like Bubba over there, which I I wonder why. But, um, yeah, so they're booing Bubba Wallace. So that was one of my guys. The next guy, they keep going down the, the list. And it was uh, Daniel Suarez, and he, he's a, uh, a Mexican. He's a driver from Mexico, uh, which on the 4th of July, I thought it would be funny if a Mexican driver won. So I'm like, all right, that is now my guy. I'm rooting for him. So every time his car passed our turn, I stand up like, Viva la Mexico! And, like, you know, these people around me, not too happy about it. One guy's like, all right, do you know what day it is? Sit your ass down. Next time he comes by, he made a pass, too. And so he was, he was like, he, had a, he got off to a pretty good start. Like, yeah, people in Mexico. The guy threw like a half a beer can at me. So uh, that was funny. But then he spun out. His car wrecked. He was out of the race. And then by the time he got back in, he was way out of it. So I was like, crap. So there goes my first guy. So then I started rooting for Bubba. And after stage two, so there's like three stages for these NASCAR races. It's a 400-mile race. And um, there are... Yeah, 400 miles, uh, 65 laps. Each lap is four miles long. Uh, so they have, like, the stages they break it down to. And after heading into stage two, uh, Bubba Wallace was in six. I'm like, oh, he's got a chance. He had a pretty cool Dr. Pepper car, too. So I'm like, all right, I'll start rooting for him. <laughs> His car was a piece of crap, man. Every time that thing passed, it's not you could hear, like, a... It was a clunker. Like, it's like your grandpa's, like, Pontiac. You try and start it. Like, that thing was shot. You could tell it was a piece of crap. Um... So that thing's clunking along, and you can see, like, every time he passed, there'd be, like, a car behind him, then the next lap would be a little closer, 
and then they'd pass again, and that car that was like right behind him would be like three cars ahead, and then there'd be another car right behind him. He'd get a little closer. So he just kept falling back and back and back. And my friend is actually like the diehard NASCAR fan. He hates Chase Elliott, because apparently Chase Elliott won the whole playoff in 2020. So he wasn't rooting for him. Um, and it got down to like the final couple laps here, and it was it was a pretty good race. But the two guys that were battling out was uh, Kurt Busch, the candy man. He's always got cool uh, cars. He had like a Skittles car, red, white, and blue for 4th of July. That was kind of cool. But apparently he's an asshole. So people don't like him. My friend didn't like Chase Elliott either, so it was like kind of like the battle of these two guys that nobody really likes. Um, and Kurt Busch started in 40th, which is the last. He worked his way all the way up to second. He was in first for a while, but then Chase Elliott's car looked like it was souped up or something. That thing was rigged, uh, and he just blew it away near the end. So interesting race, but uh, I got booed a lot. Threw beer, guy threw a beer can at me. All my drivers uh, didn't do too well. So that was that. And then right after the next day, we traveled to Minnesota to watch a road trip uh, for the White Sox Twins. White Sox took two or three, successful road trip, uh, but I got a lot of shit from Twins fans out there, which is funny because your team's in the last place. Like, you're, gonna really, you're really going to talk crap to a team that's 14 games ahead of you. I mean, it's like, all right, you know, what are you going to do? But if you haven't seen it yet, it was all over the highlight reels, highly recommend. Check out Billy Hamilton's catch. And a little context of this catch, too. Because the catch itself was phenomenal. He's running towards the wall, full extension, looks like Superman, catches it in midair. But the conditions he made that in were terrible. Like, this is one of the best catches I think in person I've ever seen. But before that game started, like, we're looking at the forecast, and it's raining all day. We're like, they're not going to get this game in. There's no way they're playing. So we were at the Mall of America. We're whooping it up at one of the bars there, and we look at the watch at, like, 6.15. We're like, oh, crap. Like, they haven't called this game yet. So we haul ass back over to the stadium. We get there. Uh and you know we find we find our seats or whatever and it's still coming down we're like geez i'm surprised they're still gonna play this sure enough they, they started playing and it like the minnesota sky i don't know whether it's from their pollution from their disgusting city or whatever with the rain mixed in it was like this orange like smog or whatever so it was very hard to track the ball when it like there's some pop-ups that you look up and you get lost in it um and mix that with and it's coming down raining pretty hard you look up you got the rain falling with you mix with the minnesota smog um it made it very hard to track fly ball so the, the late innings come and uh it's downpouring like there are puddles forming on the field there was a point i think there a guy slid into second and he like stopped short. it was like he slid into like mud i was surprised they even let him finish the game you can see like puddles forming on the warning track so he makes all these conditions in, and Billy Hamilton's tracking this thing, full extension, is like, it's one of the best catches I've ever seen. So I highly recommend looking that up. But enough about that. Let's get into the uh, newsworthy events this week. Um, let, let me start with this, too. NBA Finals Game 4 was last night. Pivotal game for the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, they don't want to fall behind 3-0 heading back to Phoenix. That's kind of a death sentence. So they needed to win. They needed to hold home court. Uh, they needed to win both of those, quite frankly. Because if you lose game three, you're down 3-0, series is over. You lose game four, you go down 3-1, heading back to Phoenix, series is over. So they needed to win two must-win games. And, you know, this might sound like a hot take, I guess, because the man's won two MVPs, but I think Giannis Antetokounmpo is underrated, as crazy as that sounds. Like, you remember when Kawhi Leonard took the Raptors to the NBA Finals, and they won. They beat Kevin Durant. And there was a conversation afterwards, legit conversation, is Kawhi Leonard the best player in the world? Like, people were having that on the debate shows and everything. Two-way player, plays defense, carried his team to the Finals, you know. 
and they had a lot of breaks, and so so is Giannis this postseason. But I would argue with what Giannis has done and how unstoppable he's looked and how good he is two ways. He plays both ways. He plays his ass off. He plays good defense. That block is close. That's the second best block I've ever seen. The best one was LeBron James's in Game 7. Uh, that Tracetown block was the biggest block. But, like, this one's right up there. Like, that play, the, the, the DeAndre Aiden, end of the game in crunch time, the recovery there with his length and size, he can score downhill. And unlike Ben Simmons, he works on his jump shot. So he, he can shoot it from beyond three-point three, three land. He's not a prolific three-point shooter, but he can knock down a jump shot. He can knock down a fadeawayer. He can knock down a three-pointer. Hell, he's not the best three-throw shooter, but he's starting to hit his three throw, free throws. Like LeBron James, I'm not going to knock him, because like, he works on it. You know, despite everyone chanting and everything, he's been pretty good the past couple of games at the free-throw line, too. Like LeBron James isn't the greatest three-throw shooter ever, so we don't hold that against him. I'm not going to hold that against Giannis. But what, he, what he's done this series... You beat the Eastern Conference champs from last year, Miami Heat. Sweep them. Then you knock off Kevin Durant, who people argue is the best player in the world. He knocked them off. And now they're in the NBA Finals. If he gets this ring, he has a legit case to say, like, I am the best player in the world. He's won two MVPs. He does it all out there. He's a hustle player. He's the heart and soul of that Bucks team. I'm not saying he is, but like he should at least be in the conversation. You never hear Giannis Antetokounmpo in the conversation for best in the world. So LeBron James, number one, which I think he still is, but at this age, he's starting to fall off. Then you hear Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard. Why is Giannis not included in this? For a man that's won two MVPs, I don't think he gets enough. Like He's never talked about in like the best player in the league conversation, and I think he's earned it to this point, especially if they can pull off this series win. He's definitely earned it. Like, that should be, like, the Kawhi Leonard conversation they after that. Because I think, honestly, I'd rather have Giannis over Kawhi Leonard. Because at least Giannis Antetokounmpo can stay on the floor. Kawhi, you never know what's going to happen. He's always hurt. Needs rest days. He's flaky. Giannis, is play- he's on the floor. Like, that injury he had in the, the Atlanta series, I thought he was going to be out. Like, that looked ugly. Two days later, he's <laughs> grinding it out in the NBA Finals. And to put up what he's done... Like, the game two, he had, like, 40-plus points. He was the only... The way that team was shooting, Drew Holiday is, like, a humanitarian effort out there to build houses for orphanages with all the bricks he's laying. Like, it's kind of pathetic. Even last night, he, he had a warm-up jumper. Like, in between plays, you know, you kind of chuck it up after the window blow, whistle blows. He even missed one of those. Like, like, he can't shoot. Middleton, you never know what the hell you're going to get from him. So I, I would... I. <laughs> he's done yeah let's put him in the that conversation he is he has earned it he is that guy and it's that you know it's crazy to say too like out loud it sounds crazy but you never hear about him like they go through the best players in the world league they're like oh yeah Giannis he's up there but he can do it all out there and he's getting better and better at the shooting once he becomes, because you know he's going to keep working on it. That's all he's been, that's all he does. And with how hard he plays, he's like he's like a more talented Russell Westbrook, and he plays just as hard, and that's why I love him. So, yeah, good for Giannis. Now, now I do have to address Chris Paul here, too, because I've been a big Chris Paul fanboy. I've been defending him. Game four was a little, like, quite frankly, I'm going to take my medicine here. He played like crap. What Chris Paul is known for, he's a floor general, doesn't turn the ball over, well, he wasn't either of those things in that game. He was could not score. His shooting was terrible. 
for some reason, he, he cannot shoot Milwaukee, it seems like. Both games, he was off shooting. Um, and he turned the ball over in some key situations. And that's inexcusable. You cannot defend it. You know, he, he deserves some criticism here. But I will say this, before we all start jumping on Chris Paul, saying overrated, he's a fraud, he only shows up when it's not crunch time. Uh, when you watch that game, that was a game the Suns should have won. The Suns should have won that game. And down the stretch, fourth quarter, they're up by nine points. What that game showed me was the discrepancy between the one team with the Milwaukee Bucks. It's a veteran team that's been through some wars before. They're battle-tested. Versus a very young Phoenix Suns team, minus Chris Paul. And I, that was the difference down the stretch there. The one team knew how to close it out down the stretch. The other one did not. And when Chris Paul played poorly, they had no shot. So I would rather, if I'm the Phoenix Suns, before we start ragging on him too much, just know yeah, I would rather have Chris Paul on my team than not, because he's a major reason you're even in this point. And you see what happens when he plays poorly, the whole thing unravels. Now, Devin Booker, like, there's a lot of criticism to go around here. Like, Covington should not be out-rebounding uh, DeAndre Aiden. The offensive rebounds are terrible. They turned the ball over a lot late, which was, you know, partly... Mainly Chris Paul's fault, so you know he deserves some credit there. Uh, so then these guys don't deserve a pass. Besides Devin Booker, Devin Booker, I'll give him a pass. He had 40 points, but even him, foul trouble. Had an egregious foul late in the game that should have been called. They got away with one where he wrapped up Drew Holiday. He should have fouled out there, which was not very high IQ play. Even when he picked up his fifth foul trying to box the guy out, he's got to know that situation. You cannot pick that up. So that's you know rookie dumb plays right there. Uh, so, you know, if I'm, if I'm the Suns, yes, he played bad, but let's not rag on him too much because that the difference in that game was Milwaukee, Giannis, been through it. Chris Middleton, they've been through some playoffs together. They, they're they starting to realize what it takes. P.J. Tucker, battle-hardened veteran. The veteran team versus this young Suns team, and when it came down the stretch in crunch time, the lights got really bright. The one team shrunk, the other one didn't. So you're in a game seven. And you need someone to knock down some free throws or whatever, or make some little plays. Yeah, I, I'd be happy to have Chris Paul on my team. Um, sorry for the interruption there, folks. Little call from the uh, mother there. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah. So the one team, young team, the other one, veteran team, been through this before. That was the difference on the stretch. Because otherwise, you don't blow that nine-point lead. And Chris Paul deserves some blame. Like I said, he deserves the majority of the blame in that one. He played terribly. But just know, you're not in this situation if it wasn't for him. This would be happening a lot more if it was not for him on the floor. So, yeah. I think that down the stretch in this series, when he gets games uh, six and seven, you'll be happy you have Chris Paul on your team, Suns fans. So let's not rip him too hard. Even though he did play poorly, cannot defend his game four performance. It was terrible. It was terrible. Uh, let me shift to this, a little NFL talk here, uh, since we, I was just in Minnesota, you know, with the NFC d division, you know, training camps come reaping around the corner, more Aaron Rodgers news, said he's not going to report to training camp, and let me say, that, you know, there's a lot of these delusional Packers fans out there, my buddy, um, Aiden Conklin, big Vikings fan, he was listening to a Packers podcast, and he sent me this take, and it, it, it was pretty funny, like, how these Packers fans are either like, uh, the one was like, uh, I think they said they were ranking all the weapons groups around the NFC in the NFC North division. And they had the Packers as the best in that division. 
And, you know, they're like, well, you know, we'll be just fine without Aaron Rodgers. We heard this from Patrick, too. Like, Blake Bortles, you know, I think he can lead us to an NFC championship. It's like, all right, get out of here. And with all their great weapons, that great weapons core. You do realize Aaron Rodgers is the one that makes these guys look so good. Do you remember Randall Cobb? Looked great. That was a great-looking receiver. He left Green Bay. What happened to him? Middle of the road at best. Like, he was an average, he wasn't very good. But in Green Bay, he looked like a pro bowler with Aaron Rodgers throwing to him. I could go down the line. Greg Jennings, when he left Green Bay, what did he do? Not a whole lot. Aaron Rodgers really made him look good. Jordy Nelson. Everyone, oh, Jordy Nelson, what a great receiver. He leaves Green Bay, goes to the Raiders. Terrible. Non-factor. I don't even think he made it to the end of that contract. I'm pretty sure he retired beforehand. James Jones. Leaves the Packers. What's he doing? So, like, you can go down your list of guys. Alan Lazard. What a good player. Oh, there we have uh, Robert Tanyan. Like, Robert Tanyan, solid tight end. But you think he's putting up those numbers anywhere else without Aaron Rodgers as quarterback? Nah. Uh, Jones, you know, he's a good running back and all. Uh, but not running backs are a dime a dozen. You can get those anywhere. I don't even think, I think in that division, I'll take uh, Cook over him. Hell, I'll even take, I think David Montgomery can do the same amount of things he does. I think he's a great, great running back too, underrated running back. The only guy on that team that's legit that I think would be good anywhere else is Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams is the real deal. He'd put up these numbers anywhere. Outside of him, though, you, you, you think you got the best weapons in the NFC North. You are sorely mistaken. Because you don't. It's not even really close. You probably got the third best. The Vikings, definitely number one. I think the Bears with, the, you know, Allen Robinson, I'll take him, uh, you know, mixed with that running game. And two pretty good tight ends and Jimmy Graham uh, and Cole Komet. I mean, yeah, you might be third without Aaron Rodgers. And there's all these guys like, oh, yeah, we're, we're so, yeah, we want him out of here. He, he can leave. All right, we'll see what you do without him. Even if he does come back too, which I don't think he will. He's gone way past the point of return. This is like, you know... You, you walk storm out of the offense, so you quit in a blaze of glory. You're like, hey, F you all guys, middle fingers all around. And then you're like, oh, wait, I actually did need that job. And then you come back. You, you think the coworkers are going to be happy to see you back, even if they do let you back in the office? No. That's going to be an awkward work environment, and it's going to be very hard to be functional because there's gonna be, it's already been let, like, it's on the table right now. Everything's out there on the table. He doesn't want to be there. So even if he does come back to the Packers for week one, you think that's going to be a functional work environment? No. Matt LaFleur and his relationship, I think, is shot because Rodgers cannot be happy that he took the ball out of his hand down by a touchdown against Tom Brady. And it came down to it. He's like, yeah, I don't really trust you. So you think Aaron Rodgers is happy with him? No, I think that relationship's a little deteriorated. And Matt LaFleur, on the other end, you know, he he's in there. You know, he, his success has been based on Aaron Rodgers' quarterback play. And now he doesn't have a quarterback for training camp, doesn't know when he's going to be back. You think he's going to be happy with Aaron Rodgers after this? No. So even if he does come back, dysfunctional team. I think they're finishing third in the NFC North with or without him. Because name the last team you saw with like the most offseason drama that wins the division. It doesn't happen. The Pittsburgh Steelers, they always win the offseason drama headlines. They haven't? No. It did not. So we'll see what happens this year, but I don't think I don't think that's happening. Honestly, if I'm going for that division specifically, uh, I think 
right now the Vikings is slight favorites in that division. I think they got the best weapons. I think the defense will be slightly better, but that's what concerns me. I don't think it'll be very close. I think the Bears will be right behind them. And I actually do think, call me a homer, I think they have a shot because they have the best defense in that division. Uh, you know, especially if everyone comes back healthy with Roquan. I think that Vikings defense was terrible last year. And, you know, they're going to be a couple guys back. I mean, it's only going to be a little bit better. But Patrick Peterson's not turning him into a top 10 defense. I don't even think they're top 15 at this point. Well, we know what Kirk Cousins does in big games. So I'll, I'll take the Vikings slightly ahead. I'll put them ahead of the Bears, uh, you know, just because they have a little bit more depth offensively. And if they slightly improve on defense, that'll be a much better team. But uh, that's going to be close. It's not a very good division, folks. It's going to be bad. It's going to be ugly uh, all the way around. Detroit, you know, non-factor. <laughs> but I think it's going to be like a 9-8 and eight team uh, winning the division. I don't think it's going to be very good all the way around. And I don't think any of these teams are making noise in the playoffs, quite frankly. <laughs> but it should be interesting to see, uh, especially if Justin Fields comes in and adds an element to that Bears offense. Uh, you know, that could be a formidable team. I like. I, I think they've upgraded the receiving core a little bit. You got Allen Robinson back. They're going to say they want to run the ball more. I like that. Uh, the offensive line, they had a good O-line draft. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be very interesting. But, well, I got Vikings one, Bears right behind them. Don't be surprised if they pass them, though, at some point. It's going to be close between those two. Packers third, Lions the Lions, the finishing fourth, but that should be interesting. <laughs> you Packers fans, you're delusional. If I was uh, you guys, I'd be, uh, you know, bending over and kissing Aaron Rodgers' feet uh, because you need him back. Otherwise, you're screwed. You don't realize how blessed you've been. And it's funny, too, because, like, my friend was, like, one of the things they were, like, heckling us about in Minnesota. You know, we have this stock stuff on, and they're like, oh, well, your quarterbacks have stink. Yeah, Chicago, you guys stink. My friend, yeah, I was going with, he's not a Bears fan. He's a Packers. He's like, oh, I actually like the Packers. And they're like, oh, Aaron Rodgers. Like, oh, you know what? We've won 15 world championships. How many of those are Aaron Rodgers won? It's like, yeah, you know what? In the 1920s, that might be great, but these Packers fans are delusional. Like, you think you're some relevant fight. Like, you're in Green Bay. No free agents want to play in Green Bay. No one wants to move out there. Like, you're only relevant these past couple decades because of Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. You've been blessed with two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And once those guys leave, we'll see how relevant you guys are and how long you can hang on to your 13 NFC champion or 15 uh, world championships. We only got one with Aaron Rodgers. We don't need him. We'll still be relevant when he's gone. <laughs> Good luck with that. Good luck with that, because two quarterbacks of that kind of talent do not come across very often. Like, ask the Browns and Bears. They've still been searching for a quarterback for all these years. So you get good luck. Maybe you'll stumble into one. Not likely. We'll see what happens. Rodgers probably going to Denver, though. I think that's a real possibility. I think you got to trade him at this point. you got to get something for him. You, get, you, you trade him to Denver, that's going that, to be a Super Bowl caliber team. But uh, we shall see. I'm excited. Big Ben. This was funny. Gave me a chuckle. Ben Roethlisberger says, Oh, I'm in the greatest shape of my life heading into camp. I feel good. I'm ready to go. <laughs> Which is funny because he's never been in good shape. And I think so. The bar to be in the greatest shape of your life is not very high. But I'm pretty sure from what I have heard that his off-season workouts are kind of laughable. Like, there's a Jay Glazer probably works harder. He's in probably better shape, and he's a reporter. I think probably works harder than him. So congratulations to Ben Roethlisberger for not shotgunning uh, two Natterdays after dinner, and you cut it down to one, so you're, you're in slightly better shape. But, man, what I see there in that Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback situation is uh, that's an outhouse that they repainted, and they're going to tell me it doesn't stink because they put a new coat of paint on it. It still stinks. 
Like, it's still not good. They should have moved on from him a while ago. Uh, yeah, Big Ben used to be great quarterback, Hall of Fame player, but uh, his time has come and gone. He, he's, he's completely over at this age. Like, he should have been taking his this health more seriously. Like, the fact, oh, I'm in the best shape of my life right now. So, like, you're never in great shape to begin with. So, you, you could lose like two pounds and you could be like, yeah, I'm in the greatest shape of my life. Like, he, he's not like an Aaron Rod or a, or, excuse me, a Russell Wilson or Tom Brady where you're a quarterback 365 days a year. Like, <laughs> Big Ben is like, yeah, all right, training camp starting. We'll, we'll use training camp to get into shape. All right, playoffs are over. Uh, you know, let's just go kick back and uh, sling back some booze. <laughs> this is what happens. And this is why the Steelers are going to regret it. Because I think it's the age started the show last year. Probably would have been the time to move on. But uh, we will see how that goes. I think it's going to cost them a division, though. That's a team that's probably finishing third of that division, too. <laughs> so, congratulations, Ben, though. You're not, not shoveling cheeseburgers down your goal at all offseason. Congratulations. Uh, AL, MLB All-Star Game happened. And you know what? I'm a White Sox fan. You knew this podcast wasn't going to go through without a White Sox mini rant here before we wrap things up. You know, I have a beef with the fact that Tim Anderson did not get in that bat in this All-Star game. And I wrote an article about it. And a lot of the comments is like, well, he was added as a reserve. He shouldn't have even been there if Carlos Correa didn't opt out. So, you know, he should have just been grateful he was there. Or big the Frank Thomas is, you know, the big new Gen X, which was actually kind of funny. <laughs> you know, his, his hissy fit was the only reason he got in. Well, let me tell you something. Tim Anderson has been one of the faces of baseball these past couple of years. Like, his bat flipping, like, the the MLB made a whole campaign off of that and Fernando Tatis Jr. let the kids play that those two were at the forefront of. His outspoken personality is one of the few, he's one of the few players that makes this game even relevant in a game that's really lacking stars right now. Uh, so, y you need him. And the results he's put on the field, he has earned the fact that he should be an All-Star. The fact that it took till this year for him to get in the All-Star game is ridiculous. Won a batting title in 2019. Had the highest batting average, not only in the AL, the major leagues. The next year he comes in second in that. Uh, second for the MLB race. But since then, he has had the highest batting average out of all major league players since 2019. 2020 won a Silver Slugger Award for shortstop. Hit 10 home runs in the 60-game season and batted 322, which is pretty good in 60 games. They have 10 bombs and bat that high once again. And oh, by the way, in the playoffs, his first playoff series, uh, in the three games he played, he had three hits in each one. Nine hits in three games. That is the most for anyone in the MLB's history in their first three playoff games. And it also tied Lou Brock for the most hits in three playoffs games, three hits in three consecutive playoff games, uh, which is the first time that's happened since 1965. Only him and Lou Brock are the only players that have ever done that in postseason games. Which last time I checked, Lou Brock was a Hall of Famer, so that's pretty good company. Are you going to tell me this man doesn't deserve to be in the All-Star game? Just because some, you know, they get some new flavor of the month, they get more. But, like, the man should have been. Like, he has the resume. You give him some respect. So whether, you know, did Bo Bichette have better numbers this year? Yeah. But you're going to be upset about Tim Anderson making it his reserve. You're not going to count it. Like, he's earned an All-Star appearance a while ago, and I'm glad he finally has it next to his name. So the man, he, with what he's done on the field, his body of work speaks for itself, where you can at least give him a bat in the game. Like, Kevin Cash made sure to get Xander Bogarts 
three at-bats, which is ridiculous. Should have been two, one for Bobachet, one for Tim Anderson, maybe even two for Bobachet. That's fine. But he gave him three at-bats, which is re way ridiculous. Puts him in the eighth inning after like, the guy had just, like, the, the shortstop had just batted, so he had to wait, like, nine hitters before it came back around to him. And, of course, it left him stranded on deck. So I'm fine with Tim Anderson's comments. He said afterwards, he's like, yeah, you know what, it's all good, but uh, we, we, we'll head down to Tampa, and I'll take it out on him then. And I was like, oh, you know, you should focus on the field. He's making too big of a deal about this. He should just been happy to be in there. Now, he's earned it to this point. You don't know how many chances you're going to get to play in an All-Star game, especially to Anderson. He's been screwed over so many times. So I think the fact that he didn't get to bat was bullshit because, you know, Kevin Cash made sure to get – he got all three Tampa Bays in, Tampa Bay Rays in, even like Kittridge throw an inning. Like, come on. He was added as reserve too, so – that, I think, was bogus, man. That's my little rant. But, you know, it was pretty funny. FCC was furious. You want a player to root for? Uh, Liam Hendricks, man. That was funny. If you haven't checked it out yet, do yourself a favor. <laughs> Go online, look at the ninth inning. The ML Box had this stupid thing where they mic up the players between innings. And they're, like, talking. Joe Buck's, like, talking to him while they're trying to concentrate and make a play. Well, Liam Hendricks, he turned his mic, like, volume off so he couldn't hear Joe Buck. He said it was an accident afterwards. I'm pretty sure he knew it wasn't. Like, I think he just didn't want to listen to Joe Buck. But he was still, like, on air. Like, you could hear him talking. And the man, if you've never seen Liam Hendricks piss, pitch, cusses a ton. He's, he's always yelling at himself. Sure enough, there's, like, he cursed up a storm after a couple balls hit the backside. It was pretty funny to watch, to listen to the whole thing. God damn it! God damn it! Fuck the Um... So there's going to be some FCC violations because of that. So that was kind of funny. But Australian closer getting the save. First Australian to appear in two All-Star games. Then you had a Japanese pitcher, Shohei Otani, get the win. Um, yeah, baseball is a global game. That's why you got to love it. And Shohei Otani, too. I would do want to, you know, and the MLB is very much clinging on to him. I'm sure you've heard enough about uh, Shohei. Uh, and, you know, there was some beef, too, with him starting the All-Star game. Honestly, I didn't have a problem with it because I think... What he's doing, people don't realize how difficult it is to hit a major league fastball at this level. Like, in general. Major league pitching in general. Kristen Yelich had a quote today saying, Jacob DeGrom, best pitcher in the MLB, the, the average person would go 0 for 1,000 against him. And I guarantee that. Which is probably true. It is so hard, especially today. The guys throw harder, they throw faster, the breaking stuff's nastier. So you have to hit all the you have to hit these guys. So that's hard enough. And then pitching in general is very difficult too. He has to do both. He has to hit major league pitching and then strike out major league hitters. He does both at an exceptionally high level. He has 11 strikeouts per nine innings. He has an ERA in the 330s, which is pretty good. And oh by the way, he's leading the league in home runs. So I'm fine with the MLB. You know, I, I know people got sick of it, but I was fine with the MLB. You know, trying to like showcase this guy because he plays in. He plays in Los the Angels. You know, and the Angels not even the the they're not even the most popular team in their state. But Dodgers are. You never see any Angels caps. The average fan they play at like nine o'clock on the, the East Coast over there or West Coast over there. So you can't get to watch them unless you're staying up to like ten o'clock at night, so no one gets to watch them. They waste all this talent. The Angels the, the Angels are infuriating, man. You got Mike Trout, the best player in the world. 
Then you had Anthony Rendon, who's an all-star. And now you got Shohei Otani, who's doing things we haven't seen since Babe Ruth. And by the way, he's much better than Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth was facing a bunch of plumbers and whatnot that threw like 60 miles an hour, who was out of, overweight, out of shape. I mean, he never pitched and hit in the same year. When he was pitching, he was with the Red Sox. Then he came with the Yankees. He only had two pitching appearances. Most people don't know that. And while he was with the Red Sox pitching, the most home runs he hit was nine. Dead ball era. And then he came over to the Yankees and did what he was doing. Shohei Otani's better than... Babe Ruth. Like, what he's doing is insane. So, um, you know, they want to market him. He's playing with Mike Trout, who's like, he's very good, but the man's got the personality of a wet napkin. So they're trying to get some excitement into the game. That's fine with me. Like, I was fine with him getting the starter. Were there people more deserving? Yes. Lance Lynn, for example. Chicago White Sox. Lowest DRA in the AL, 199. Should he have gotten the start? Maybe. But I am fine with letting Shohei start because the fact he was in the home run derby, leading the league in home runs, doing what he's doing on both sides. Yeah, well, you know what? If they want to embrace that, they want to make him the main attraction this weekend. I was fine with that, and I think people needed to light it up a little bit because I heard a lot of complaining about that. It's like, you know what? They're trying to make the game fun and marketable. This guy's awesome. And by the way, he's got a whole fan base in Japan. Like, it's very hard to have a star player in the MLB because they only get four at-bats, with most of which, you know, they're only going to be on base so many times. Like, it's hard to hit. So maybe you get on base if you're lucky like one or two times in those four at-bats. And then there's no guarantee anything's going to be hit to him in the field. Whereas the NFL, NBA, you're on the field the whole time. In the NBA, there's only five players. It's very easy to have star guys that are marketable. It's harder in baseball. So they're doing their best to try and get some personalities and stars in this game. I had no problem with it. No problem with what they did there whatsoever. Um, Stanley Cup, man. You know what? Some smart guy said... Uh, Tampa Bay Lightning in five. You know who won the series? Tampa Bay Lightning. Five games. There you go. Mitch Kaminsky. Hockey guy. Uh, you know, that was a shame too, but I think it was funny. Andre Vasilevsky's comments afterwards. He's like, yeah, the Canadians fans acted like they won the Stanley Cup after winning one game down 3-0. I thought that was hilarious. Was he hammered? Yes, but that was... Uh, it was pretty funny. That was one of the greatest post-game press conferences I've ever heard. He had a couple beers, and it was all like, he's talking crap about the Canadians fans. Which uh, is pretty funny. Uh, so good for him. Uh, I think that's all we have for you. You know, my prediction the rest of this series, I think it's going to go seven. I think it's going to go seven. It's going to come down to who can break this home surf. I, I'm leaning Milwaukee with the momentum they have. Yeah, you know, game five is always critical, um, but yeah, it's gonna come down to who breaks their home court advantage. Because I think whoever, you know, if if the Suns win game five, the series isn't over. Um, the, but they're gonna have to win. They they lose game six, and then I think Milwaukee wins game seven. I think Milwaukee is going to break him at any point. It's going to be game seven. So I got the Suns. Suns are going to win game five. I think Chris Paul has a bounce back game. Here's how I think the series is going down. And actually, there's a good chance he'll be listening to this before the next game because they have three days of rest in between the each one. The next one's not till Friday. I got the Suns winning game five. Chris Paul has a bounce back game. Bucks will win game six back at home. Uh, that's the one the Suns must win. That's the Suns game seven. Obviously, the Suns win the series is over. Uh, but if they lose that game six, then I think Milwaukee's taking it in seven. So game six is going to be the deciding one. Whoever wins game six is winning the series. The Suns winning it, quite literally, they'll win the series. 
because it'll be over, because they're going to win Game 5, I think. Uh, if Milwaukee wins, they're taking Game 7. I will take their veterans over the Suns' young team, minus Chris Paul. Uh, that's a lot of pressure. Giannis really wants one. This is their best chance. Milwaukee doesn't win this year. I don't think they're getting back to the finals anytime soon. A lot of pressure for both of these teams. Time is now, but I think Milwaukee takes it 7. There's your prediction. That's Dormer Dispute Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your week.